This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hello. Our chief critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Morning, Katie. We are gathered on a day different than usual because it's Golden Globes Day. We delayed this week's recording by a day so that we could talk about the Golden Globe nominations, which happened just a few hours ago as we talk. It's kind of the, not the most important uh, awards nominations of the season, I think we'd say, but one of the really fun ones and full, as usual, of some really weird surprises. And I guess I wanted to start with what to me is the big standout and maybe the surprise is that the most nominated film of all is Vice. I haven't seen Vice, and I don't know if you guys are allowed to talk about it having seen it, because I think it's still embargoed. Like, it's a it's a real mystery there. People have tweeted about it, though. That's true. Well, within the bounds of what we can talk about with Vice, how did Vice become the big winner this morning? Well, I think that, you know, the, the party line every year with the Golden Globes is that it's weird. Or they're weird. They're weird awards. It's voted on by 80-something members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Uh, so it is very unrepresentative of other voting bodies like the Academy. Um, and their tastes can either trend on television to the brand new, but I think in movies we see both with Vice and Green Book and Peter Farrelly and Adam McKay, those films, directors getting nominated, they kind of like big traditional Hollywoody things too, even though I guess Vice tries to be non-traditional in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I think that Adam McKay is just cool. And um, it's sort of funny that Vice is in the musical comedy category, but obviously Adam McKay comes out of the comedy world and there are definitely some elements of comedy in there, I think. But yeah, this is an eccentric, always an eccentric list, always based on you know, or you always find yourself trying to reverse engineer all the decisions based on our sort of assumptions about the 80 or so sort of European journalists who put this thing together and who did a good job of kind of making sure that they felt excited to be in a room with people and were well taken care of and all the rest of it. Not to be too cynical, but, you know, that's that's part of this thing. I, I think in a weird way, too, um, the Adam McKay release strategy 
that he used on the big short and is using here might be a kind of an advantage because you feel special that you're getting to see a movie early that no one else is seeing versus something that's been kind of hanging around for a long time. Uh, I feel like there's there's some kind of excitement around that. And, and you know, we're like you said, the embargo for Vice doesn't even lift till next week. So they get in a way to have the first word on it, which you know, at some level might might play into the decision-making. Well, it seems like now, like, the, the most key thing for this in terms of Oscar race is now every single person who gets the vice screener is going to watch the vice screener, which I think probably would have happened anyway. It's got enough stars in it. Adam McKay has a track record. But it, it's the level of visibility that it wasn't going to get from critics groups. You know, it didn't get – it didn't win any of the New York Film Critics Circle prizes. I'm not even – did it make the NBR list? I think maybe it didn't. It's got this huge boost as a real contender, even based, like you said, Richard, on the 80 people who vote on the Golden Globes. Yeah, and Mike, I think you're, you have have an interesting theory, although I wonder what that theory says then about the mule, Clint Eastwood's movie, which has still been mostly unseen by critics, but I was told was screened for the HFPA. So maybe the the mule doesn't have a, a hunt? I don't know. What's an expression about a mule? <laughs> <laughs> it's not leading the pack? Like a pack mule? Sure. To be perfectly honest, like the mule is not on my radar anywhere near the way that, that Vice is, right? They've done a really good job with Vice all along, getting people intrigued by this thing and all that. I mean, you know, who doesn't love a Christian Bale put on 25 pounds to do this? Um, he literally transforms into sort of the worst person in America. Um, all, all that stuff. Uh, you know, they're very good at, at at sort of kind of getting you excited to say this is going to be a real phenomenon, whereas maybe the, the Clint Eastwood Western doesn't have that same sort of zeitgeist feeling to it. But I don't know. I mean, it's uh, I think we are reduced to theorizing, A, because we're not even allowed to talk about the movie and B, who the hell knows what goes through the heads of these lovely people. Can I ask something that hopefully you won't break a bargain by saying it? But I was surprised by Sam Rockwell being a supporting nominee, not only because that category is crowded, it's from both comedy and drama, but I had gotten the sense that Steve Carell had maybe the bigger part and was more of the the takeaway from Vice. Can anyone shine any light on that? Well, Carell has the bigger part, but I think Rockwell is playing someone who people are much more familiar with, you know? Yeah, he's George, as George W. Bush, yeah. Yeah, people certainly knew Don Rumsfeld during the Bush years, but like the Bush years were a while ago now, and I think people have forgotten some of the less famous players in the game let's say um so yeah that that would be my guess they probably just had a really awesome party uh, like you know and like sam rockwell was probably just being awesome the whole time and i don't know i mean uh, he's good he's he i think he's i think we can say he is good in this um everyone obviously uh who has seen the trailer there there's a fair amount of sam rockwell in the trailer um and 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 yeah to richard's point i think it's much it also feels to me a little bit, again, not to break uh, embargoes, but like I think Carell is doing less of an impersonation um, than than everyone else is or than, than certainly Christian Bale and Sam Rockwell are. Like Sam Rockwell and Christian Bale are are like acting like, talking like, doing the mannerisms of their characters, whereas I think some of the other folks, either we wouldn't know if they were because we're not as familiar or they just decided to take a different route with the performance. It is really weird to have watched George H.W. Bush's funeral yesterday and watched George W. Bush give a eulogy and then all of a sudden be talking about Dick Cheney and the Bush era again. Uh, it's, a, it's viral marketing for Vice in the H.W. Yes. <laughs> well done on their part. Joanna, what stood out for you? I feel like we have uh, haven't let you speak yet. 
I mean, I just haven't seen Vice yet. So, um, I, I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about TV and if we felt like there were any major surprises there or questions we have about things. I mean, the Golden Globes is, there, uh, uh, the Hollywood, let me start that again. <laughs> the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is famous for, especially in television, trying to like plant their flag on something new. Uh, and so you always get something kind of like fun and under the radar in the TV categories. Um, I think people would agree that one of the things this year is the Kaminsky method, which was a Netflix series with Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin, which is very much like Golden Globe catnip. And it's something that we, you know, predicted definitely in our Vanity Fair predictions, um, considering the caliber of the actors in it and that it's about show business, but it's still just a show that I don't know a lot of people watch on Netflix. And then ditto, you know, you were talking about this a little bit off air, Katie, The Bodyguard, which was the number one most watched show in the UK this year, Richard Madden's sort of spy, tense political spy drama. Richard gave, our Richard gave it a lovely review on, on VF.com. But, you know, it, it's stream, it's streamed on Netflix and maybe this is just a Netflix problem of like too much content. But once again, like, I think that show flew under the radar for some people. So that's something that the, the Golden Globes often does in television is just sort of shine, you know, in the movie realm, I think a lot of us go like, what, why? And in the TV realm, especially in the area of so much TV, I think it's sort of like, oh, interesting. Like this is going to get a, this Mozart in the jungle or whatever it is, is going to get a little boost from the attention from the Golden Globes. Yeah, I'll say that as I was typing up the uh, nominees as they came in, and our movie predictions were far more accurate than our TV predictions, which I think happens every year. It's just really hard to put a finger on how much TV there is and what the Globes are actually going to go for. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just so much more happening in TV, and and like they're unpredictable in terms of when they drop a favorite. You know what I mean? Like I was surprised to see Atlanta drop off their radar, even though Donald Glover got a nomination. I was surprised to see that since season two was very good and generally really well regarded. The biggest drop off was the Golden Globes perennial favorite Ray Donovan, which did not get a nomination for the first time since it premiered, I believe every dad's favorite show. Yeah. Our favorite dad show. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's always interesting. Like, I don't like to get upset. I just like to get excited for the people that I'm excited for. And then, you know, why why get angry about a snub? I think the, the, the broader pattern that we can maybe, I don't know, get angry or riled up about is this uh, thing that people have pointed out that not a single woman was nominated for directing and only one woman was nominated for a co-writing credit, I believe, on The Favorite. And so, you know, that's just something that, that the Golden Globes is – either lagging behind in or, you know, reflecting the general Hollywood attitude still towards women. This year has looked not good on that front all along, right? I mean, it just, am, am I right? I've never looked at the field of best director contenders and seen a woman and likely best director contenders, unfortunately. It's just, it's just been all male all along, unless you think about uh, a private private life. I think there was a ma- some mounting hope for Marielle Heller for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Just because that movie had has really held on very well since the the early fall festivals. Um, but yeah, I guess when you're contending with a group that um, you know they like their kind of not old Hollywood but older Hollywood anyway, and Peter Farrelly or and I mean Adam McKay's young but he's been around a while. You know, the, the, I guess that's tough to contend with when Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, from a sort of certain perspective, it's a, it's a small movie. It's, it's, you know, maybe the directing isn't that flashy and so it doesn't stand out, but I would have liked to seen, have seen her on the list. 
I definitely had hope that it would make it into the uh, musical or comedy category, which is really all over the place. As, as usual with musical or comedy, you can never totally figure out how they're going to divide things up. And it's especially weird that A Star is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody are nominated in the drama category, even though they're kind of musicals. So you've got Vice, as we mentioned before, up against Mary Poppins Returns, which is a musical and a comedy, and Green Book, which is uh, a comedy, The Favorite, which is a really dark comedy, and then Crazy Rich Asians, which is like this big, lavish summer comedy. It's a, it's such a weird combination of movies. And can you ever forgive me would have made it weirder, but I would have liked to see it there. But they decided to run it in drama. So. Oh, they did? Yeah, so Melissa McCarthy's nominated in drama actress, which is so weird. And A Star is Born did the same thing. And Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, it's just like a weird, I I guess maybe they just see more prestige in in running in the drama category. I mean, the HFPA gets to decide where things fall eventually, but I think they do listen to a studio's request. But speaking of A Star is Born, for me, the biggest snub of the whole morning was Sam Elliott not getting nominated for supporting actor. Because I feel like since that movie premiered at Venice, like back in late August, early September, he has been the front runner for supporting actor. You know, you hear talk about Michael B. Jordan or uh, certainly uh, Mahershal Ali for Green Book, but I feel like Elliott has been riding that wave for for the longest and just won a National Board of Review Award for Best Supporting Actor last week. And so it was like, okay, here's the narrative. Here we go. And then not to even get a nomination for this is really surprising. I feel like this has happened before recently, though, like that there has been a supporting actor. Willem Dafoe. But Willem Dafoe didn't wind up winning in the end, which uh, maybe was a, a sign that that wasn't going to work out. Well, yeah, so Aaron Taylor Johnson won over Mahershala Ali, who eventually won for Moonlight. Like, Sylvester Stallone won the year that Mark Rylance won. There's, you know, they were nominated, but there is a weird lack of track record. I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on the SAG Awards and hold on hope for Sam Elliott, because I agree with you, Richard, that it, it's like A Star is Born put itself in drama, and the, the gamble paid off. It kind of got every nomination it could have expected, except for that one, and I'm not sure what to chalk that up to. Sam Rockwell took the Sam spot. Wrong Sam! There was one Sam Sam slot there. <laughs> Well, and Richard E. Grant keeps getting the Hugh Grant slot that I have uh, saved in my heart for Paddington 2, even though I'd rather I'd rather they both get in. Another interesting inclusion on that list is Adam Driver for Black Klansmen. You know, I don't know what that means for his chances going forward, but I think, you know, that the Globes or the HFPA can be really weird in some respects. But if you look at the best motion picture drama category, they have Beale Street, Black Panther, and Black Klansmen, which I feel like is pretty unprecedented in terms of movies directed by black men and very much about black identity in three of the five slots for best picture that feels a drama that feels pretty significant um and something that they that the hfpa should be you know proud of and black panther landing a like a drama nomination feels i mean i i feel like everyone today was like well that that settles the question of whether it's going to be on the oscar list for best picture like somehow uh you know Getting nominated in the drama category, which is the first time a superhero has ever been nominated in the drama category, you know, that that's it. It's anointed. Here we go. I mean, I don't know about winning, but like nomination for sure. I can tell you something. There were are people in the Black Panther camp who are as shocked as anybody, more shocked probably than anybody that this happened. I think they were really stealing themselves to not get this. And they were thinking about how they were going to kind of um, go forward anyway and explain why it didn't matter. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I think they were pleasantly surprised. And I think you're right. This this really does make it feel like, yes, this will, uh, you know, as we've been saying all year, like this will be a Best Picture nominee. Yeah, same with being on the um, the AFI list, which I think the AFI list does lean into blockbusters a little bit more than some of the others do. Um, but Black Panther made that list as well. Um, so, it, yeah, it's a good time to be Disney like that. And Mary Poppins Returns really keep popping up. And I'm always hesitant to be like, well, the HFPA went for it, so the Oscars will too. But I think you're right, Joanna and Mike, that like the narrative around Black Panther uh, has solidified so much that it would be pretty dramatic if they didn't nominate it in the end. Well, speaking of the Poppins hype, which like I have been ringing the bell for and, and, you know, then more critics saw it and did not agree with me necessarily. But like the fact that Mary Poppins was not nominated for a single song is... I mean, that's been a criticism lobbed at, at the film that it's like the songs aren't memorable. But like, if it's really gunning for the comedy musical category, that seems like a bad sign to me. That is weird. Like, I don't know what the signature song for Mary Poppins is supposed to be. Like, if they're rallying behind a single one the way that A Star is Born is behind Shallow, like maybe that campaign hasn't geared up enough to pick the one that everyone's supposed to go for. So they kind of divided the vote. Sorry, are you guys trying to get me upset about a category that has Lady Gaga, Dolly Parton, and Troy Sivan in it? <laughs> and Annie Lennox. And Annie Lennox. And, oh my God, Annie Lennox. And just, then Kendrick Lamar rounding things out. Yeah, I mean, that's really exciting. All five of them. Um, Kendrick Lamar, a recent cover of VF. But um, yeah, Joanna, I think that, that, the, that Mary Poppins probably did fall prey to the sameness of the music like the thing that i've heard kind of over and over from people who've seen it and myself is that they all kind of bleed together it's not that the songs are bad it's just that one song doesn't really stand out as terribly distinct you know from the others maybe they all split the vote or something you know i don't know how how things work but i think that seeing lin-manuel miranda nominated for best actor in a comedy musical you're like okay so then nominate that song that he sings in the beginning or whatever but i guess that just wasn't meant to be it did get best score nomination and and possibly at the expense of uh of Beale Street which i think was Nicholas Bertel a lot of people were expecting him to to pull one right yeah especially when a, a, i haven't seen a quiet place still cuz i'm still scared but i didn't that score i did not realize was so strong i wonder if they nominate the score for a quiet place because it's in place of dialogue <laughs> since there's no dialogue the score has to do all the work is that a quiet place's only nomination yeah, because it's screenplay has been the other thing that it's been really um, competing for, and it didn't make it in there. Because the Globes is more restricted than the Oscars, where they just have one screenplay prize as opposed to uh, adapted and um, original. So, yeah. When you have those blended categories, especially in television, I think there are a lot of people that are missing. I would I would say Jodie Comer, Killing Eve, Eliza Scanlon, Sharp Objects. Like, there's a lot of, of supporting actress women that, like, it's it's hard to see them not on the list there. To go to um supporting in film, I, that list of five feels like I know we keep talking about how first man keeps falling off the radar, so Claire Foy might not be the surest thing, but that looks like a good Oscar five to me. Yeah, I thought that when when they announced that, Katie, I was like, yep, that could pretty much go just five or five. It's Amy Adams, Claire Foy, Regina King, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz. Yeah. That seems entirely likely. And I also think that Regina King getting a nomination for seven seconds on the TV end of things, which she won an Emmy for back in September and is a show that people liked, but I don't think a lot of people watched and yet she still won. And Regina King is you know, coming off of winning two awards, uh, Critics Awards last week. You know, the Sam Elliott thing is now more in question, whereas I feel like the Regina King thing is less, I mean, is more sort of solidified. 
Interesting. Amy Adams also has a TV nomination for Sharp Objects. So two, two, yeah. two women in that category. They love doing that. They love nominating people in TV and film at the same time. Make sure they show up. Amy Adams, I feel like, has a better chance in television, whereas Regina King has the chance in movies. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I did want to go back, Katie, to A Quiet Place. Uh, you know, that was a movie that, because it had a big studio behind it, like, and it had been so critically acclaimed and a big box office success, they really tried to sort of position themselves in a campaign as sort of the new get out, like a horror movie that's artful. They did a lot of events. They, you know, were at fall festivals getting awards for their actors. Like, and it seems to have fallen somewhat flat. So I wonder if we should start talking about movies that like, you know, I guess to borrow a term from Joe Reed had Oscar buzz. I would say that a quiet place, this is a bad morning for them. And I think that any hope of Hugh Jackman in the front runner, I feel like those that's gone. Oh man. Oh, the front runner. (laughs) thought about a front runner in a while and i like that performance i think we've we talked about it a lot earlier in the year well also what about widows totally blanked here yeah man first reformed also blanked i was gonna say for widows that elizabeth debicki is maybe my one holdout hope and supporting actress that somehow that might come through and again the sag awards are next week and sometimes they can do something weird uh first reformed i feel like was always going to get snubbed by the globes like it's becoming this huge critical favorite it's shown up on i think every top 10 i've read in the last two days but I don't know. It just seems not like the Golden Globes thing at all. Richard, you're right. Hugh Jackman's path to Oscar had to go through a a Golden Globes nomination when there's 10 slots here, right? Presumably. Right. I mean, like, if it didn't get in here, it's not – no one's talking about it. Whereas I don't think Ethan Hawke, like, should consider himself out of the race. Yeah. I, I that, that makes sense. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I think, you know, if you look at the Best Actor – nominees lucas hedges for boy race that's probably not going to repeat at the oscars he's great in it but john david washington and black Klansman, i feel like that's you know and you bump up vigo and christian bale from comedy and so that maybe that then is your five but rami malik might even still be on the bubble so yeah i think ethan hawk's people shouldn't panic just yet the sags still have are yet to come but yeah hugh jackman like and for a good performance, it's just like really kind of recessive, quiet one. And I just it didn't it didn't have enough juice. Yeah, I wouldn't give up on a quiet place yet either to go back a little bit. Um, the Critics' Choice Award nominations are also going to come next week and they like, have enough genre awards that there's probably room for a quiet place to sneak in there. And John Krasinski and Emily Blunt are very appealing and she's going to keep getting nominated for Mary Poppins. So that's probably going to keep them out on the circuit. But you're right that it's not a great sign for them with the Globes. What about Hereditary? <sighs> I don't know about Hereditary. It's an interesting question for HE4, which is like, you know, done so well, done so well. And then we've got like what? We've got Elsie Fisher nominated for eighth grade. Is there anything else? Eighty-four in here. They had first reformed, in, which is as we discussed, blanked. That's what I'm saying. So I mean, the fact that eighth grade has gone this far, and we've talked about this a bunch, is like a real credit to A24. Like they made that a summer hit. They have made it an awards thing. Elsie Fisher. It's like I still don't know that I would put her in a best actress like top five, but I think she's got a, as good a shot as she ever has. And I think the screenplay chances are really good, even though it didn't make it in this time around. Speaking of actress, if you look at the five who were nominated for drama, with Gaga, Glenn Close for the wife. Um, Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And then you have Nicole Kibben for Destroyer, which is a surprise for me anyway. Rosamund Pike in A Private War, which is great because she's excellent in that movie. But but then you take the two from comedy, Emily Blunt for Mary Poppins and Olivia Colman for The Favorite, and you you know swap them in for Nicole Kibben and Rosamund Pike. I feel like that's the five for the Oscar. And I don't know where you know anyone else gets in. Maybe Julia Roberts for Ben is back. But again, 
that would have been it would have been great if she showed up here uh, in terms of that. It was such a competitive year for actress compared to actor, especially like we're talking about how Ethan Hawke isn't here, but he shouldn't give up. But it does seem like if an actress isn't on one of those two lists, that's that's not going to happen because there's so much competition. They nominated Julia for Homecoming so she can come to the Golden Globes for that. <laughs> she still gets to come. I feel like we say that every year. It's always more competitive for, for actress, isn't it? I mean, this year feels especially odd on actor. Like there just isn't a huge like overwhelming performance in the middle of it. Like even last year with Gary Oldman at the center of everything. Like I think at a stronger year for actor, like maybe Lin-Manuel Miranda wouldn't be nominated or John C. Riley for a movie that like no one is talking about as far as I can tell. Um, he should be nominated for the sisters brothers, my opinion, but whatever. I'm glad he gets to go. Um, but yeah, it does, it does feel unusually thin for actor, um, which could be interesting or could lead as we keep talking about to Bradley Cooper, just walking away with everything. And how about, let's talk about Roma, uh, which I think is interesting. And I, and I, there, there was an article in the Hollywood Reporter that explained that there is a rule in, uh, you know, at for the Globes where if you are submitted for best foreign language, um, you cannot be, you know, you cannot get nominated for one of the best motion picture things. And that's not the case at the Oscars because this is this is Mexico's official submission for best foreign language. And at the Oscars, it can be nominated for both. But here it can't be. So I guess they just made that decision. They're just going to go ahead and take the presumably, you know, sure thing, inevitable uh, foreign language nomination and sacrifice the motion picture nomination. I guess that's what happened. Yeah. And it got director and screenplay as well. Um, you know, I think there were some people who thought Yalitza Aparicio might make it in in the actress category. But I do think that is about what Roma could have counted. Like, there's no cinematography prize at the Golden Globes. A lot of the technical awards it will likely win aren't on here. So that seems like a pretty good run for Roma. What a weird rule for the HFPA of all awards bodies I know. to have. <laughs> right? It seems very strange. What is the F in your acronym for, anyway? What even is yeah. a foreign language if you're HFPA? But anyway, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's all relative. It's just funny to watch the nominations announced this morning and, and, and hear Roma's name, but not, you know, in that sort of t- top echelon of categories. And in no way does that presage what's going to happen at the Oscars, I don't think, at all. You know, the critics' lists, of all, like the top ten lists have come out this week, mostly, um, including mine. Roma's at number one of mine. It's at number one on one of the New York Magazine critics' lists. It's on Times, it, number one. You know, it's just like that movie is, I think, the quiet storm about to break. I mean, it's not even on Netflix until next week, so... All signs point to Roma. Can't believe we're already here. That's about to be on Netflix. It feels like it's been forever. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? What's the right amount of socializing for you? 
And how do you recharge? Maybe you thrive around people, or maybe you need more alone time. Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LittleGoldMen today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LittleGoldMen. I will just say I'm pleased. I am pleased that Black Klansman did so well and that The Favorite did so well. I think that that's, that's great. And I hope that the, that, that continues. Black Klansman, more than The Favorite, I was starting to get concerned that it was going to fall out of the, out of contention. But so I think this is good news for that film for sure. I really love John David Washington's performance in that. I'm really excited about it. But is this like a Hollywood royalty thing that the Golden Globes likes to? from time to time <laughs> was he mr golden globe in some de- some recent past <laughs> right i think they just really like that movie i mean i think that that you know you know the adam driver nomination and spike's nomination like that movie for whatever reason for me anyway has been a kind of an awards question mark but it keeps popping up and so i you know i think again that that could be if the academy goes to nine or ten or even eight like that i think that we could expect to see it there i also do think vice and black Klansmen. there's sort of a little bit of a tradition probably the coolest thing the hfpa does is reward movies that talk about how shitty america is <laughs> <laughs> they're sort of like guys we have to spend a fair amount of time here like this is kind of a hellscape and this you should watch this movie i know i keep like sort of strong arming us back to tv when we're oh good in please full-on full-on film awards uh, season but um i think we should talk about pose getting nominated both you know in in the drama category and then a nomination for Billy Porter um, because that's that was a surprise to me and a really pleasant one. We tend to think of, or I tend to think of the HFPA as more conservative, small C conservative, um, or maybe big C conservative. And I was just really delighted to see Pose in there. So That's a nice, um, some nice representation for that show, which I guess won't be Emmy eligible until next year. Is that right? Really? When did it, when did it premiere? It is one of those shows that's grown constantly. Like, I feel like every week I see more people being like, oh, my God, wait, Pose. Yeah. Can I ask a weird, possibly completely irrelevant question? Because I am going to let you guys know right now it's going to be my mission to get Catherine O'Hara an Emmy win for Schitt's Creek this year. Oh, I love her. Is Schitt's Creek like – so I never saw it until it popped up on Netflix and suddenly was like trending every day and now I'm mainlining it and it's the greatest thing ever. Why hasn't it gotten anything? Is it just because it was on some random Canadian TV channel and and will it have a chance, Joanna? I don't know. Can we make this happen? Yeah, let's do it. Um, It airs on Pop here before like you know Netflix picks it up and like Pop has original programming I only know about it because of the TCAs and they do a presentation every year at the TCAs so I know all about Pop I only know about it because when I watch Shit's Creek on Netflix, there's a pop tile. And then I'm like, oh, that yeah. must exist. So pop has been running Shit's Creek for several years, imported out of Canada. And then I think it popped up on Netflix last year and a bunch of people started, you know, like three seasons in and people started binging it. And it's so good. I think Richard and I are both huge fans of that show. Mike, welcome to the party. Katie. I got maternity leave coming up. I'll, uh, I'll have a lot of time to watch it. I think Canadian TV in general doesn't get, um, we're seeing a lot more of Canadian imports because Netflix and Hulu and all the streamers who are really thirsty for content are like, oh, here's a source for English language programming that we can pull down. And so we're seeing a lot more of Canadian uh, programming on streaming. But I think it's just not 
like the CBC programs don't campaign, I think, in the same way. So I just don't, I don't think, you know, they're seen that well. But let's do it. Let's make All right, it happen. We're going to make it happen. I just wanted to interject briefly. You know, we should mention, since we are uh, an award season podcast, that since the last time we recorded, we now have all of our award season hosts lined or main ones lined up, which is Kevin Hart will be hosting the Oscars and Sandra Oh and Andy Sandberg will be hosting the Golden Globes. Sandra Oh and Andy Sandberg is like a really funny kind of odd pairing until you go and watch their presentation at the Emmys, which is a really charming one minute thing that you can go find on YouTube right now if you want. They have a really fun chemistry. And so all that being said, you know, we'll talk about the awards host most, but I, I think it'd be really fun to watch Sandra Oh host the Golden Globes and then win while she's hosting. That's always a fun thing to watch someone do. So it could happen. Like I know James Franco was nominated the same year he hosted the Oscars. I'm trying to think of another of a recent example where somebody won when they were the host. Didn't like Tina, I swear like Tina Fey did or something like that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm dreaming. Yeah. Well, yeah, that would be very fun to watch her. Tiffany Haddish won at like the MTV Movie Awards, I think. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I think that was one, yeah. Well, that's our model. I'm all here for Sandra Oh and uh, Andy Samberg. I'm very curious about Kevin Hart, especially if his hosting gig will last, given some tweets of his that have been circulating around. I don't know like yeah. how, if I want to put too much weight into Twitter drama, because a lot of times that doesn't translate into real life. Um, I think he could do a great job as a host, but I'm curious about how that story is going to play out. Well, but that stuff, you know, that the people found these... <laughs> old, not that old, some of them are, you know, from 2011 or whatever, tweets about, you know, they were pretty explicitly anti-gay jokes. That's been something that's been sort of shrouding or, or, or haunting, I guess, his his very much burgeoning comedy career for years now, as he's sort of moved out of just the comedy clubs, and now he's doing arenas, and he's, you know, in hit movies. He's always had that past, or at some point present. And I've always been kind of curious, like, when it was going to come up in such a major way like it did when they announced his his Oscar hosting gig. You know, I have a good friend who's been kind of beating the drum for him hosting the Oscars for a while now, and, and, and she was right in predicting that he would this year, but, you know, I and other people kept saying, like, well, but there's that. So I don't know. I think in this kind of fraught year that the Academy might be extra careful, but then again, it took them so long to even find someone to do it that maybe they just don't have time to switch courses now. Well, it would just be interesting to think – is there something he can do, you know, because to your point, like they probably asked a number of people and landed here. There's not a ton of time left. Would it be helpful? Would it be like enough if he kind of said, look, I did shock humor and, you know, looking back on it, I feel bad about it or whatever, you know, like, is there some way of getting past it? Or is it just kind of like a thing that's going to be a thorn in people's side until the end? That worked for Trevor Noah. Um, it's interesting, like, when people decide to fire people over social media things, you know, like, obviously, we had a rash of it. Obviously, James Gunn is a big example. And once again, in a post-James Gunn world, I don't know why or how people haven't deleted all of their old tweets. I deleted my old tweets, and I don't even yeah, have really. anything controversial in there. <laughs> and you're not hosting the Oscars. And I'm certainly not hosting the Oscars this year. So, like, if you know, if you're if you're listening, please go delete your old tweets right now. Um, but we've seen a bunch of controversies around nominees, like in the last few years, that the Oscars that we thought would sink those nominees, and then they won. So um, maybe the Academy cares less uh, about this kind of thing. I do think he's going to have to say something, especially after, um, you know, they fired Brett Ratner for saying right. something kind of like off the cuff and homophobic when he and Eddie Murphy were going to do the Oscars. It does seem like you're right, Mike, that like they need to have a host and they need to find a way through this. But it is it's just crazy to me that they didn't tell him to delete his tweets before he got this job. Yeah. 
I mean, to the extent that it is a very meaningful, important night for members of the gay community, you know, presumably, hopefully they thought about this and have some kind of strategy. That would be nice. Right. And I also I don't mean to be flippant about that. Like deleting your tweets does not delete the fact that you ever expressed that sentiment. Yeah. And and to your point, Mike, something that they call literally the gay Super Bowl, it's like, come on. Like, <laughs> like and this, this, this thing was not a secret. I mean, this is not just tweets. It's been in his stand up. Like, you know, he he's known for this if you're paying attention. And look, he's been funny and great and successful in other ways. But like, that was a pretty significant part of his comedy for a long time. So uh, I don't know. I'm surprised, frankly, that they didn't. I mean, maybe they did. But like, I, I think that like, given... Maybe they had less reaction time last year, but then they've had a whole year now, like, have a woman host the show. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe there was no, no one that they asked said yes, but it feels like a progressive choice in one way because he hasn't done it before. And he's, I think, the biggest touring comedian in the country in terms of like, you know, sales and, and, and the venues he plays. So that's an interesting choice on that merit. But on others, it's like, well, you know, they could have been a little bit more forward thinking, I guess. Well, let's wrap this up maybe by each of us talking about the Golden Globes in and of themselves. Uh, we talk about them as Oscar predictors. Is there anyone you really just want to win a Golden Globe, maybe because they're not likely to win an Oscar or it's in TV or any uh, particular horses you want to ride here? I mean, I, it's never going to happen, but like, it would be such a thrill if Elsie Fisher won for eighth grade. You know, she's the only person nominated for that movie, which was a great movie, one of the best reviewed of the year, you know, a lot of people's favorite. And look, I think everyone else in her category is great in their respective movies and in general, but that would just be a fun, weird, Golden Globesy kind of thing to happen. Yeah, I'm going to X that out, though, and say I look forward to Emily Blunt winning for Mary Poppins Returns. You know, she's like the Golden Globes golden child, famously, but has only won once for Gideon's daughter 10 years ago. And she's so wonderful in Mary Poppins Returns that uh, if we can't have Elsie Fisher, then let's have Emily Blunt be very charming on stage. I would like to see a tie between Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone, because I don't know how you choose a favorite and have them both like go up and hold the award together and mock fight on stage together. And then break it in half or each can take one. How about you, Mike? Uh, I kind of, this is, that may sound crazy, but I kind of want to see Adam driver win for black Klansman. If he's, if he snuck in, he's so good in it. That would be cool. I'd like to see that. Yeah. That's a performance that I love that I feel like doesn't get talked about in the many assets of that movie. Um, I think I like, I want victory for Spike Lee more. Um, but yeah, you're right. Adam, uh, Adam Driver's amazing in Black Klansman. And I don't know, without Sam Elliott in there, I don't know. I guess Mahershala Ali becomes the default frontrunner. I would say Richard E. Grant. I love Richard E. Grant. So I would like to see either of those two win. I mean, Richard E. Grant would be wonderful too. Anyway, I'm being wishy washy. I just want, I'm just happy for everyone who's nominated. <laughs> I say frontrunner because Richard E. Grant won for New York Film Critics Circle, which we just voted on last week. But like, we don't really predict Oscars. So, so who knows? Maybe he's not the frontrunner. Looking at this list with Globes voters in mind, it might very well be Mahershala Ali. So who knows? I mean, they're all, they're all wonderful. I'm going to get all my Withnail and I uh, gifts ready for Please. Globe Night. Just yes. in case, Richard. Uh, yeah. Just send them to me. Okay. All right. I'll text you. Well, I guess that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Uh, thanks for listening. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. We always appreciate it. Uh, you can find us at VanityFair.com where there's lots of Golden Globes coverage to come. Uh, it's including Joanna talking to Richard Madden about The Bodyguard, a show that definitely existed before I had heard about it. I used to know about it. It was a very interesting revelation for me. You can find us on Twitter at Little Gold Men and on our own. I'm at Katie Rich. Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard? I'm at Ryla's, and I also want to say that we have our top 10 list up, my movie list, Cam Collins' movie list, and Sonia Sarai's TV list on VF.com. Now you should go read them. Uh, and Joanna? Joanna, this. 
This episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth, and this week's award for what the Golden Globe said to themselves as a nominated Lady Gaga for a Golden Globe Award goes to Joanna Robinson. So I know all about pop. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in-between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.